The Walk the Mile podcast is produced on Gadigal land. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which Skeg Starlinghurst stands, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past and present. May our reconciliation be an ongoing process of love and compassion. Hello everyone, I'm Gary Lee Lindsay, school chaplain at Skeggs Darlinghurst, and you're listening to Walk the Mile, a podcast that opens up conversations that we need to have. Welcome back to Walk the Mile, if you've been listening for a while, and welcome to Walk the Mile, our podcast, uh, which is basically having conversations with people in our area, people connected to our community, just conversations which we hope will be interesting enough for you to listen to, but also we hope that you'll get something out of. Today, I'm talking to a man called Ryan Nau, who is the program manager for a place called Rough Edges. How are you, Ryan? I'm good, thank you. Thank That's you for good. having me. No problem. And how long have you been involved with Rough Edges for? We're almost at five years. Five years? Yeah, which it feels a lot longer, if I'm honest. Really? <laughs> and for those who don't know what Rough Edges is, could you give us a, a brief definition of what you think Rough Edges is? Yeah, so Rough Edges is, uh, I mean, I love the name Rough Edges because it, it, it just suggests uh, something quite um, inclusive uh, about what we're trying to achieve. And, uh, you know, just kind of thinking that everyone has our Rough Edges. I, I guess the people we serve at, at Rough Edges have them uh, maybe a, a little bit more obviously, but, but we are a space set for for a, to be a safe space uh for people who are experiencing homelessness um so we we have somewhere between you know 30 to 70 people per night uh that come into rough edges that have some sort of relationship with homelessness whether it be they are currently homeless or they've uh, been recently housed or in danger of homelessness um, uh, we, we work with a lot of people in those sorts of scenarios. Why do you particularly target homeless people? I think, I think the story goes right back to the 1980s, which, um, you know, I wasn't there for this. I was busy being born at that time. <laughs> but, um, uh, but you yourself were heavily involved with PJs. Um, and PJs was about... Uh, being a neighbour, a, a Christian loving neighbour to uh, communities. I think it was mainly communities, and you'd know this better than me, that were affected by the AIDS epidemic. Or, That's right. Uh, so it started up, sorry, to. No, no, <laughs> yeah. Right. This is the conversation, right? <laughs> That's right, it's a conversation. So it started up in the 80s because of the AIDS epidemic at the time. Uh, we wanted to make a safe place for people who were. Who are struggling, and it was uh, rough edges. Now is in Victoria Street in Darlinghurst, underneath the Hall of St John's Darlinghurst. PJs, which it was derived from, what rough edges was derived from. Absolutely, yep. Uh, 
was underneath the a playhouse, which is still a playhouse for Skeggs Darlinghurst, but it was a public playhouse. So there were plays put on there and underneath there was PJ's The Cafe. And it was connected to St. Peter's Church, which is down closer towards Willamaloo. And where it was placed at the time, the main people in that area were transgender prostitutes and the homeless men, which came up from Matthew Talbot Hostel and around the place. They were yeah. our main clientele. And so <clears throat> that was in the 80s. There were a lot more street kids around. Yeah. There were, uh, yeah, there was a lot more street prostitution around. Yeah. And so we mainly served the transgender prostitutes, but also a lot of the prostitutes would come down from the main drag up on Darlinghurst Road. Mm. And also what was called the wall yep. in those days, where a lot of the male prostitutes worked opposite Green Park. So for some reason, just organically... <laughs> It became a bit of a haven for prostitutes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I I really look at those groups and think, you know, now we're as a society we're we're much more accepting. Back in that time, and especially with the AIDS epidemic, that you know, uh, uh, people that were impacted by AIDS at the time were very much left out. And so that's what PJ's was, if, that's right. and, and you're nodding your head to that. So <laughs> I think I'm right. right. Um, and so now I, I guess rough edges, you know, we don't have the AIDS epidemic anymore. That That's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a problem that's been uh, very well dealt with in, mm. the, in the following decades. But we do have a problem of, of homelessness yeah. being uh, fairly rife in this area. Yeah. And in wider Sydney, I don't think... I, you know, I, I think we tend to have a bit more of a density because it's an area that's quite set up for homeless in that we have a lot of services around. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the dream hasn't really changed from PJs to rough edges in that we're, we're still very much about compassion, inclusion, being yeah. a place of safety and belonging. And, and, you know, I know these are very much buzzwords, but uh, they really mean something quite profound to us. So. Yeah. And, and I guess the the general characteristic which covers those people, because I know when we when we were shutting shop at PJ's and looking for another place and wanting to still maintain our connections with the clientele, you know, a lot of the working girls were saying, no, we're not going to be walking all the way up there because this is where we work. Yeah. Uh, and the guys who were down around that area, they said, oh, you know, we, we want somewhere a bit closer when we weren't able to establish a place like that but as you said you know the type of characteristic or the, the the identity of being sort of marginalized mm. or underprivileged or mm. on the on the parameters of society you know it sounds to me like that's continued for people who might come to rough edges who might be feeling isolated yeah or might be might not have uh, a community necessarily absolutely you know there, there's a few things that I, I really need to say and that is you know we we definitely work off the the story of the good samaritan that that jesus uh that jesus teaches in uh in the gospels there is another service called homeboy industries in in la um, and they work with ex-gang members um, if you ever have a get a chance to have a look at that 
just have a look at their website. It's unbelievable what they do. But he says this thing, he says, compassion, imagine, to, to define compassion, imagine a circle and no one's on the outside. Um, so, you know, that that's what I really love to see at, at Rough Edges is, is a place where people just feel welcome. Mm. Um, I'd go so far as to say, you know, you may not like Rough Edges, but we really like you, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, well, that's good. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And what sort of services do you provide through Rough Edges? It's a place for people to come, obviously. Yeah. Uh, then what happens after that when people arrive? What can they expect? So at night time, we're 100% run by volunteers. And so being a volunteer at Rough Edges means you have to go through some training to, to actually be there. Um, we use the volunteers to link people with our daytime program where we have a, a social worker. We also have a, a lawyer at, at that time. Um, and so the social worker and, and lawyer can help people out with any kind of assistance that they, they need. And, and that just means, you know, our main, our main uh, goal with, with our, our social worker particularly is just referral. Um, and so build rapport. Uh, find ourselves in a place of trust with this person and then refer to a service that uh, has more resources and, yeah, right, you know, right. in a particular sort of space. Um, so and so it's a link for... for yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so creating access to services that, that can give people a lot, more, a lot more help in the specific area of need that they have. Um, so that can be housing, for example. You know, the first thing that you really want to do with anyone who's rough sleeping, and it's never this simple, let me say, but the first thing you really want to do is get them into housing. But once they're in housing, they still have the issues they would have started yeah, with. Sure. So that could be addiction or mental illness, let's say. And so then you need to give them those wraparound services that can help with those those areas as well. Um, and so that that's, that's what our... our uh, social worker does the lawyer helps people out with any kind of legal assistance um, from you know uh, housing issues to getting on NDIS um, for if you've got a disability that's what NDIS is for uh, so anything along those lines from criminal matters as well um, and then one new service that that we've started in the last little while and, and really trying to build on is one that we've called new new skills Stay tuned. I don't think we'll call it that forever. And that's, you know, I think a lot of rough edges in the past has been working in this sort of place of, you know, you have someone in crisis and you want to get them to a place of sustainability. Well, new skills is now about, you know, we've got someone in a place of sustainability. How do we get them to a place of flourish and, yeah, and right. finding employment, finding something that they really like doing and, and really passionate yeah. about? How do we find you know life purpose and and uh, a way for them to give back and all those kinds of things that really bring about you know true happiness if you get money yeah you know. no that's great and and that's just started that program you're saying or yeah so we've we've just we've just started by um building some partnerships with specific people so a photographer um by the name he he his business is called bio alexander but he's a, a guy named alex and He's just got a real heart for, for people in, in these situations. And so he organises people to get trained in photography. Um, soon to start a, a, a program in cooking uh, and also in boxing. The only thing I'd say about boxing is that uh, some people are like, 
is it a good idea to teach people combat skills? You know, so, <laughs> but, but I'm quite convinced it is actually. <laughs> oh, that's good. Are you a boxer? No, my my granddad was a boxer oh, in right. Egypt actually. Wow. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm quite a peaceful person. <laughs> Do you have to be in this role? Do you feel like, like I'm, I'm guessing, and I'm, I know again from my experience at PJs, there were some nights when there were some volatile situations. Yeah. Uh, and I must say, I've never ever once in my almost five years working there, I uh, never got hurt or attacked. I found that the people around me helped me out yeah. quite a bit and protected yeah. me. But uh, do you feel like it's necessary to be? Uh, I don't know, not, not a peaceful person necessarily, but what do you bring into the role in terms of being able to manage conflict and to being able to manage people's yeah. aggression or their, their distress? I really believe that uh, to solve any conflict, and I'll take this so far as it works like a dream in Rough Edges, uh, it works like a dream in my marriage um, <laughs> is that when you are in conflict um, the best thing you can do is stop thinking I need this person to know exactly how I feel and what I'm saying and why they're wrong and I'm right and start thinking I need to understand exactly what this person mm, is saying right. and uh, this comes uh this comes from the best advice I've ever received, and, and it's in a book, I can't remember, Stephen Covey, right. um, seven, seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, uh, seek first to understand before being understood. Mm. I find that to be one of the best, if you, if you mm. go in with the attitude of, I'm here to listen, I'm here to make this person feel like uh, everything they say is valid, everything they say is worth listening to, and, uh, you know, I'm here to understand and not to, uh, um, you defend. know, not to defend. Yeah, exactly. I think that is a, that's the sort of conversation that ends up uh, really allowing the person to work through their anger mm -hmm. in a way that's much more efficient um, than, you know, coming up and, and um uh, being equally as aggressive or yeah. matching aggression or, yeah. or any other kind of way, really. Yeah. Um, and so trying to, uh, trying to, you know, find yourself in a place where, hey, I'm not against you. I'm just here to try and understand you. Yeah. Um, that's what I find. Now, does it work 100% of the time? No. There are times where people aren't really working on their logical kind yeah, of brain sure. and... They could be on a on a drug high, or or their mental illness is is up, or I mean trauma is Ooh. a is a massive mm. massive thing in for a lot of our people, and so an early childhood trauma, mm. and so it can be things that that you're just never going to understand, um, but yeah, trying to empathise, I guess, is the next yeah. next step. But yeah, I, I I find that's the way I, I try to deal with it yeah, most good. times. Um, I also don't get it right all the time. There's sure. days where if I'm tired or stressed, yeah. they tell me, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, you can imagine what they're saying if you'd yeah. like. Um, and I, I just kind of match it because I'm too tired to, to remember my, my mantra. Of, sure. <laughs> and that can be tough, can't it? It can be tough because I'm sure you hear a lot of pretty tough stories. 
and extreme stories and to be able to engage in those stories and to show empathy and yeah and, and I remember you know feeling quite helpless a lot of the time what do you I used to hear some of these people's stories and think would I even survive this type of story I mean that's a really interesting point and and I think you know there's a few things I'd say on that number one and probably the most surface level thing I will say is you got to train your face. If you if you have a look of disgust on your face, yeah. if you you know if, if if any of that comes through, then you know the story ends right there. Um, and so, learning to, to take away the the uh, judgment in your voice, in your face, in the words that you say, is a key skill. Number two is I I think what can happen is vicarious trauma and and my story here is i didn't start up at rough edges i actually started at hope street um which is down in woolloomooloo right next to tommy urine square which has the highest density of rough sleepers um in the year that i was working there i saw an officer pull his gun for the first time i saw two elderly women having a a wife and a wife a knife fight um, and I gave CPR to a person who was ODing on heroin. Um, and, you know, I thought at the time, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, and then I'm, I remember I was going for, to the interview for this job and I was walking up the hill from Woolloomooloo and I got to the top of Woolloomooloo Hill, which is basically the border of Woolloomooloo. Yeah. And it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders, wow. like a, my muscles suddenly relaxed. Wow. And it was like my body was going through this, oh, we're getting out of here. Oh, thank, thank goodness, you know. Um, and so vicarious trauma is a real thing that, that I think, uh, you know, when you work in a place like Rough Edges or, or what PJ's was or any of the other services we work that that. Uh, service people that go through heavy trauma mm. you, you got to be aware of it um, yeah. number three I will say on that is nothing has tested my faith as a Christian more than hearing constant stories of suffering mm. um, you know uh, on one occasion a long time ago um, I heard of a bloke who had uh, uh, lost his eyesight and lost um, both his legs and I sat there talking to this guy for a while and, you know, he just said, he just said to me, I can't believe in God anymore. And trying for me at that time, trying to justify what I saw in reality and, and then putting it back to a loving God that, uh, you know, I've devoted a, a lot of my life to. Um, that was really difficult. Mm, I had a, sure. a really hard time. For sure. Uh, you know, finding that place and, and yeah. how it all fits. Yeah. And I'm not sure I do have an answer for that. If no, but that's, that's right. Is there an answer for that? I think that's in terms of a faith. Yeah. You know, you can't always reason faith. Often you can't reason faith. Yeah. And I think sometimes just you have to hang on to something and there's got to be some sort of hope. And you might not have there's nothing you can say to change that guy's mind was there there's nothing you can you, you can't say oh well god had a purpose for this that you lost your eyes and you lost your legs yeah yeah absolutely there's I, I mean in that moment i have to say when he was telling me that story 
saying to him, I know Jesus loves you, even felt a little bit yeah. of a cop-out kind of yeah. thing. Um, which is which is something I say a lot of the time, you know, because uh, because when people feel worthless, it's it's great to know there's a higher power that, that finds you with mm. a lot of worth, you know. Um, but yeah, in, in that occasion, I, I really struggled. I, yeah. I, I was kind of uh, yeah. speechless as what to say next, you know. And is that in terms of your work that you do? And again, just thinking about my time working with people around King's Cross, sometimes, or a lot of the time, there are no answers. And a lot of the time, you, you can feel quite helpless in, yeah. in, in the role. But that's, but it's sort of okay in a way. Yeah. Because maybe that's where your faith chimes in. You've got to say, there's got to be something. There's, there's nothing I can do in this situation apart from loving these people. Yeah. Apart from, as you said, you know, listening to these people. Obviously, people come to Rough Edges because there's something there that they're not going to get anywhere else. It, it really it really challenges a, a lot of the throwaway lines that that I think Christians mm. say, and I, I'm struggling to think of any examples right That's now. Right. But um, I I really I really have to question everything I and and see how it, it fits in and and you know I, I have to justify a lot of these things for my, sure for myself a lot of the time. Yeah, and I guess the throwaway lines, you know, things like. If I was to say to someone at the end, "I oh, look, I'm, I'll pray for you," and that, and that that'll be enough, or yeah. give them a Bible passage or whatever, but actually yeah. people appreciate the ongoing commitment to them, and in some ways that, when we talk about the love of God to other people, yeah, that is the continual. You know, you're not because these people have had a lot of people let them down. They've had a lot of people turn their backs on them. They've had a lot of people. Um, Avoid them, exclude them. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think you know you you might be getting at as well is, for Christians, a lot of the time, we say uh, you know how are we going to get this person to join us as Christians, right? How yeah. do we get them to be a Christian? And so you're just thinking about their spirituality. Um, but we're then ignoring their physicality, their yeah. mental, their, yeah. their emotion. Rough Edges obviously is a community. Yeah. And I think I've seen some of the publications you call it a community as well, which is fantastic. A lot of these people, they don't have communities, they don't have families, they don't have places where they're connected. But you're, I'm guessing Rough Edges for a lot of the time in the evenings is a is a lounge room for people. Yeah. Just to be together. Yeah. How else do you try to encourage community amongst the very, I'm guessing quite a diverse range of people, even though we might say they're the marginalised or underprivileged. Mm. They're also coming from very different experiences and histories. Yeah. How do you try to encourage that community amongst a very wide-ranging group of people? So... I mean, one thing is just who we we uh, intentionally inject into the, the space, and so that is our volunteers. Yeah. And that again is why our training is so important. Is this you know setting of the attitude that you're going to have while you're in rough edges. Yeah. So so that's one thing. I think 
another thing is uh, some of the activities we're, we're trying to, to build in the next little while are, um, are very much around that. And so one thing I, I've tried to, to build before and, and failed and we're trying again soon um, is just a committee of, of some of the patrons that come yeah. to Rough Edges uh, to have a bit more of a say into you know what programs we're running, what uh, what assistance we're giving, what kind of activities should we have on hand at mm. the time. I think uh, we also encourage our, our volunteers to do some things such as um, you know we have a, a Thursday night crew that that were dre- all dressed in Santa hats when uh, when they were in the lead up to Christmas. Um, you know, creating space where where we can just have something fun that that um, that they can all do together. Yeah. Uh, State of Origin is always a massive yeah, night, right. and um, yeah, footy nights as well. There are definitely ways that we we Trying do these things. Yeah. yeah. Also, the the new skills program was was a uh, is a big attempt around this, and so learning a new skill together yeah um, brings people together as yeah. well. What, what sort of needs do you have as a as an organisation? What if people obviously people can volunteer? Yeah. How else can the wider community connect? So a few different ways. Um, if if you're if you're a, a Christian people, then I would say please pray for us. Um, Praying for a bit of wisdom in, in the leadership here is, yeah. is always great. We work with a lot of different people, and so uh, praying for wisdom in how we work with each person is sure. um, is a big thing. Um, donation of, of items is great. Um, we don't do clothing is uh, uh, a message I really want to get out there. <laughs> um, we don't do clothing for two reasons. One is uh, there's a lot of services in the area that offer uh, clothing for either very cheap or free and the other is we just don't have the facility to, to hold all the clothing sure. so um, please don't give us clothing we do take big jackets and we do take blankets uh, and you can imagine you know if, if someone comes in late at night and they've got nowhere to go a big coat or a blanket can really can mm. really help them out mm. um, and so that's that's the reason for that the last thing of course is financially um, we we really need uh, funds to keep keep moving along, um, and so look out for some of the the programs, uh, the fundraising programs that we're doing, uh, and please 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 get involved. Um, I think a service I've forgotten to mention is uh, Banksy Women, uh, and that that was it's kind of a sister program of ours. Banksia Women, we're, we're running a new campaign for that. Uh, Banksia Women targets women that have come through domestic violence and, mm-hmm. and to assist them. And so our, our program that we're running at the moment is called Never Justified, which is a, a campaign to uh, raise awareness and, and raise funds to, to keep the rough, uh, keep Banksia Women running. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's doing a great job at the moment, helping a lot of women That's great. Uh, rebuild after... Yeah after violence and there's so there's quite a few services like that around well i know inner sydney and, and so on and it, it's such a big it's a it's a big uh area to to address isn't it and i think that's why there's more and more services 
more women's refuges being established. It's more a programs. Oh, ab- domestic violence. Absolutely, it's it's a massive issue. Domestic violence, particularly domestic violence towards women. Um, you know, thirty three percent of women in in homelessness are there because of domestic violence, mm. and I think, you know, that that is just a shocking number. King's Cross has changed, or you know, East Sydney King's Cross has changed quite a bit. Yeah. since the 80s and we've talked about that a little bit the clientele that you get do the I'm guessing might come sort of further afield I know with PJs you know they were at our doorstep right and there was that block and cars would drive around and around and around whether they were you know soliciting yeah there or whether people would often drive past with video cameras in the days of video cameras yeah yeah and film them throw fruit at them and all sorts of things terrible things would happen yeah but i don't see that as much anymore around king's cross yeah do you i'm guessing it's not just the people who might sleep rough around king's cross anymore i think you might go a bit further afield would you say we definitely get get people in from all over the place i've known people that have come in from you know way down in the Sutherland Shire all the way out from the hills area um, some people coming in from say um, Mount Druitt and, and that sort of area um, so we definitely get people from all over the place and why would they travel what are they are they looking for the same thing are they I I've never really understood that myself. Yeah. I I think that services in, say, the Shire, for example, just aren't as set up as yeah. services like ours, you know, and there's probably a good reason for that in that they just don't have as much need for it yeah. there as, as we do here. So, so you know, making that extra trip all the way in means, you know, you get a, a nice warm place to, to spend the, a few hours, get a nice meal... And then, you know, if, if you're homeless, the trains are actually a really great way of, of staying yeah. warm and, and yeah. dry for a night that That's might right. be raining. Jump so, train train. Yeah. yeah, jump on the train and, and, you know, if you fall asleep and end up down in Kiama, then, you know, stay on the train and you end yeah. up back up here again, That's you know. Right. So um, I, I think I think there's, there's you know, many reasons as to why people would travel out, mm. really. Mm. Um and you know one could just be that they came here and they liked it yeah. one time and so and they they feel, they, they feel connected exactly yeah, that's good yeah I mean there's lots of I could talk to you about Ryan but I think we should try and wrap it up a little <laughs> bit <But laughs> yeah. just about you yeah it is a, it's a big job we've been doing this for five years now and I know that it can be quite taxing and quite demanding yeah how do you and just before we started recording this, you said that you really enjoy what you do, which is fantastic. How do you keep up that passion? How do you keep... Uh, because it does demand a lot of you. You do have to give, I think. You have to be prepared to give to make it work. Yeah. How do you keep going? I think one thing for me is just really understanding uh, how big seemingly small things can be for the person you're talking to um and really celebrating those wins um you know like yesterday i just had i i had uh someone come to me and and uh you know just asked me a a few like uh sorry i should say communicate a few ideas 
on um, things that they could be doing or things that we can do to to assist them, you know. And for someone to to do that, for someone to come to me with with ideas on how we can improve our service for the rest of the community, you know, that's really a a big deal when when you think, you know, these people are are people that struggle to to feel safe wherever they go. Um, and they're, they're suddenly thinking of something of a, of a bigger purpose. Um, you know, that, that's kind of huge. And so really soaking up, you know, what, what's happening there is, is one thing. And, and yeah, really enjoying it. I think getting to know the, the good in, in people, I, you know, the, there's moments uh, I have... I have some people that are, you know, just the nicest people. But every now and then... Um, They'll come in really angry and just mm. berate me about how things are going at Ruffies and and things like that. And um, y- you know, realizing that that there's a great character there, that there's someone who really cares about the place yeah. and, and really cares that this yeah. is a community that that they're a part of. And it sounds like you're acknowledging their own hurt and pain. And yeah, things. absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then I I think you know the. The amount of community I end up surrounding myself with is is really special to me. So, I've made great friends amongst the the volunteers I lead and amongst the the patrons that we serve. Um, and hearing the stories and and hearing things like that, uh, I just find priceless. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. It's lovely to hear about Rough Edges and also about your involvement. And and I and I can easily pick up on your passion and love for it. You know, it's not like it's not hard for you to talk about it, and not hard for you to to deliver or express yeah. what's important to you. So, thank you very much for sharing that with us. Well, thanks so much for having me on, and I just have to say we are so appreciative of Skegs, um, all the the help you guys do for us. We we uh, I think we we have some students that are going to be volunteering mm. with us soon, and I'm so excited to have Skegs right. back in our space. So, um, yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks for everything, and Our pleasure. Uh, hope to visit you guys soon. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. And thanks everyone for listening. And if you have any questions for Ryan, you can send them to me, and I can pass them on to him. Or if you just want to give us some feedback, that'd be great. But take care, and I hope everything's going well for you out there. I look forward to catching up with you all at some stage. Bye.